Hey everybody, we are here with special returning guest Brett Booth, comic artist, billionaire, and leader of all <laughs> the monkeys. Oh god. <laughs> Hello. Hello. So for those five people, those five people who didn't listen to our last show, or just don't read the comic books, who are you and what do you do? Uh, uh, my name's Brett Booth. I draw comic books for uh, the big two, apparently now. Some of the other companies. So I've been doing it for close to 30 years. Oof. Damn, son. I know. Got a lot of the old. So apparently, you have the best opportunity. You are going to be drawing Adam X to the Extreme. Yes. I've uh, drawn him a little. Actually, I've just drew him uh, earlier this week uh, for the first, well, not the first time, but uh, uh, the first time in the, in the book. The first few sheets doesn't show up to page nine. I think you yeah. And, uh, so it's the first time drawing him in the actual book about him also with the covers and stuff like that. So you have taught me a valuable lesson to me and anybody else who follows you on Twitter that if we knock on a company and we troll the shit out of them, they will give us a job. I feel that is legitimate <laughs> advice for anyone trying to get into comics. Tell, I, tell I, us I, about I, that. I, I, I wish that was true. I don't know. So I, I honestly don't know. The whole, all the, all the, all the stuff. I haven't asked. I haven't, I have not really asked. Uh, I just remember I was, I was trolling Marvel a little bit, uh, cause I was not planning, I wasn't expecting or planning on doing any X-Men work. I wanted to, but you know, I figured, nah, it's never gonna happen. So I'll just have a little fun. Um, and, uh, Fabian, uh, sent me a direct message and asked me if, uh, if I could even put my name in for this project. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. Not thinking I was gonna get it. And then like a week later, uh, Ricky Purity emailed me and asked me if I wanted to do, uh, this Claremont thing, uh, for the anniversary special. I don't know what number it is. Um, and I was like, well, yeah, sure. It's eight pages. That's cool. Gambit's going to be in it. Gambit Storm. I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds fun. And then, uh, like the next week, uh, Jordan White emailed me asking me to do, uh, Led the X Men Legends book and then a couple issues of the regular X Men series, and I was like, "Oh, oh, okay, sure." <laughs> and uh, so that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's, that's the story. <laughs> it's interesting because, like, last time you, last time that I had you on, a big part of our conversation was basically just talking about Claremont's X Men run. Yeah. And um, while you, I know you'd worked on some issues with him before, but even you said that you honestly don't remember a lot about those particular issues. Um, I, I do not. So I gotta ask you, man. Being 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 a fan, being someone who's basically a was an X Men lifer during that period, even with all the work that you've done in comics, what's that like, man? Because that's just cool. Even if you've even if you've been working in the industry oh, yeah, for a long no, time, it was it's, it's like I was I was really I was really surprised. But the other, one of the things I was thinking of is they wanted someone uh, who drew like you know because they can't get Jim, so like <laughs> well, get someone who could draw kind of like Jim. And uh, well, to do this one little section, and I was uh, so I was I was, I was like, cool. I was, one of my bucket list things was to do some more X Men with Chris. I thought that'd be kind of a fun thing to do. And uh, so yeah, of course I said yes. They said you know got the script a couple weeks later. I got to draw. They got to draw uh, Danny Moonstar as well. The, uh-huh. the damn horse! <laughs> like oh, there's a horse in this. Damn it! Oh, uh, that's when she was a Valkyrie, right? Yeah, so I gotta draw some of the horse of, uh, Brettwind, is that it? I can't remember. I but am a terrible he's, fan. He's black, they changed his color. Which makes it more difficult to draw, because then I gotta render the black on a horse that I'm not that familiar drawing. So now you're drawing, and that's pretty happy with most of it, though. I always wondered about that, because you talk about rendering the black. Yeah. But I know, um, so. Well, you can just do a big X, but that doesn't really. It doesn't work with the horse really that well, so to, you had to go in and, and, and just do some kind of Barry Windsor's rendering kind of yeah. <laughs> to kind of get it to work. Dude, Barry Windsor Smith is like the artist that we all want to be like. Because, like, the fact that that man, like, you look at someone like Weapon X, like, he literally, there was no creative team, there was just Barry Windsor Smith. Oh, yeah, that that's like X Men 205. It, it's just, like, ingrained into my head. I remember seeing that, and I was like, why can't this guy draw all the books? I mean, I love Mark's Western stuff, and I love John and, you know, Paul Smith and everything. This guy's just awesome, but, you know, 
It's one of those guys who just kind of comes in and does a few issues. Because he did an, one of my favorite issues of Daredevil as well. But uh, Black Widow. For, uh, that's where I first noticed his work. For me, like, uh, when, like with when, with um, with Smith, like, I know Weapon X, we, you know, I even mentioned everyone talks about it. But for me, like, the... Um, what's the... Um, I can't remember the name off the, top, off the top of my head. It was the one that he did with uh, Swarm and... Um, and uh, Forge was it life? Uh, it, yeah, it was life death. Was it one eighty seven? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know the names of the story arts, but I can't life death. The, 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 uh, the issue numbers. <laughs> Which is yeah, weird. There's like that first page with like Storm waking up on in the bed and like, the folds on the blankets, and I was just like, oh god, this is gorgeous. That is a very interesting story to read, uh, standalone because. A lot of it you can't read Samuel, and then they have the weird part with the demon alien, where you're like, what the fuck? Because we forget, because we don't have, we don't all have computer brains, like, um, like Chris and like Hickman. So, speaking, speaking of Hickman, um, the other big announcement is that you're actually gonna be doing some, some X-Men issues with Jonathan Hickman, with the, uh, current Dawn of X storyline. Um, we gotta talk about that, man, because just out of nowhere, there are these two announcements, and I'm like, holy shit, I gotta get a hold of Brett. Yeah, I, uh, it happened, it happened really fast. It was just kind of like, oh, you want to do these? And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I'm actually not reading. He wasn't really reading the X-Men. No, I, I just don't have time to read anything anymore. They're breaking everybody's like, oh, did you read this? You should read this. So it's like, I, I basically work from, uh, like 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning till about 11.30 at night. <laughs> Constantly drawing. They weren't feeding the dogs or, uh, eating dinner, but mostly I'm working. So. I don't have time. I don't have time to read, which is kind of sucks because there's like so much stuff I actually want to check out right now. But oh well, one day. So one day. even though it does end up being um, kind of contextually contextually confusing, simply for the, like you said, you're so busy working that you can't really read these books. Yeah. Um, working like working off of that, working off of the um, the Hickman script, working off of the Claremont script. What's the what's the key differences? Because I know in every book you do really have a different approach. Huh? Uh, Hickman's is a little looser. Uh, Chris's is pretty much like you would expect. There's a lot of dialogue, a lot of dialogue, a lot of description. Just uh, leave you room, like, uh, for creativity and stuff. I was a little worried because it's been, I remember, uh, this was like 93, 94? 94, probably. Yeah. Um, when, uh, Chris wrote a couple issues of Wildcats with, uh, the Huntsman, he's a Huntsman character. And, uh, Jim sent me, gave me the script to read. He says, this is a so what is this? How, how you like this? So I read through the first few pages of it. Zealot. I was like, oh, it's very Chris Claremont. I was like, it's kind of, you know, the whole thing where like, Zealot telling her life story in the one big splash page. Um, that the recap thing. I was like, it's, it's just reads like Chris Claremont. It's, it's kind of fun. And so like, I remember that. It's been a long time. And then I, I, I guess I did write, I did work on him, with him on some issues. During the whole, uh, revolutionary. Unlimited and stuff, but I don't remember. So I was like, I know that I worked. No, he came on as like the guy kind of like running the X Men books at the time, but all the X Men books were basically running currently, so there was like no like no team like official like you know and X Men Uncanny has this team, regular X Men has this team, X Factor has this team, whatever. Like all the X Men books were like the same team. It was like the same story running throughout the books. It was essentially a weekly book, and then Unlimited would come in like four times a year, and that would be like the fifth book for that for that. Uh, thing, but I, because of that, it, it was always like colossally late. <laughs> so that's why I didn't draw a lot of it because I don't get like three weeks to draw like twenty pages. Yeah. So it's, I, was a li- I was a little worried. <laughs> I was a little worried working on that. Uh, yeah, it says uh, and with the Hickman before uh, with the scheduling and all this other stuff, how things going. Those are Fabian's kind of old school classics, so those books are actually already done. So uh, when script comes in, because I know Hickman's busy on the, the crossover stuff. Get, paid, get scripting from him and I'll just stop and start working on that. And when I run out of those pages, then I'll go back to the Legends book. So, I'm technically drawing two books at the same time. I gotta give so much credit to the um, to the editorial right now, man, because like for the longest time, you know, the X Men numbers were not fantastic, and now they're just doing game busters. So the fact that they're able to keep everything as organized as they are. Yeah, I'm like that can't be that can't be easy. It's like yeah, you've been around for a long time, but all of a sudden you got the X Men books going from like low to medium middle selling books to like the top books at the company, and I'm like fuck. Yeah. Back on top, 
and then uh, then they they got this crossover too, so it's like, oh man, that makes things even more difficult. And uh, I just just remember doing the few ones that I would would involve with writing at Wildstorm were just like, oh, you got to get together and have like the whole big meeting, and things change part way through. Never fun. (laughs) Dude, we had um. It's much 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 more fun to be the artist on those books than it is to be the writer. <laughs> I think I know uh, when we had uh, Ed Brisson on when he was doing uh, New Mutants at the beginning of um, at the beginning of Dawn of X, he had actually said that this was the first time where the editors were like, "Yeah, you're going to read every book, you're going to read every script, because we got to keep this shit organized, basically." Yeah. And um, when you're doing the story, like something like. When you're doing something like Ten of Swords, it's like, yeah, if you're not, if you're a writer and you are not reading the scripts, you're not doing your, that's like half the job right there when you're doing something that, that's that involved. Yeah, you gotta know what's going on. Yep. Uh, Brett's like, I don't, this is great. Well, I mean, this is after that, so this is basically, it's like the next arc, which is essentially, I guess, I'm guessing this is just kind of like a filler arc. I'm interested. Uh, before they start the next main story of the storyline, I don't know. I'm interested in what they're going to do, man, because this is a... Like, I've been reading it, like, every issue, every week, and I have not been this hyped about X-Men since, like, Age of Apocalypse. Um, well, that's cool. Yeah. And so, for me, I'm like, how do you top this? Because there is so much going on. When they brought back, uh, was it Saturnine? Or how do you pronounce her name? From Excalibur? I'm like... As far as I know, it's Saturnine. That's how I, that's how I always pronounced it. It's like, I have not seen her be a major read, villain. I, when I first saw her, I was like, man, she looks familiar. That's that's not the White Queen. I saw Emma Frost. And then I was like, what's Saturn? I was like, oh, from Excalibur. I was like, oh, jeez, that's an old... <laughs> that's an old reference. Okay. I love that, like, Hickman is just as nerdy as we are. You know, because the fact that, like, he pulled out the frickin' Phalanx for, our, for the, phal- yeah. the Phalanx and back in the beginning of Hawks and Pox, and I'm like, I love that story. It's not the best, but the fact that you were reaching there I'm like, okay, so these titles are in the right hands, because, yeah. damn, that's um, that's a deep cut. Uh, no, I mean, I, I mean, the stuff that I'm working on, actually, it's kind of funny, because the Legends book kind of works into this, not exactly, but, I mean, uh, Char, I get to draw Death, Death, Death Bird. Yeah. So, and I, and I, I got to draw her, like, uh... That's well limited, so I was like, oh man, there's like there's all characters that I've worked on before. Like, that's kind of fun. Like, so I get to draw her again. I was so, super happy about that. But then, uh, but then you get to draw those classic designs. It, it's got to be. I got to ask you about that, man, because it's got to be kind of cool to be able to do both the uh, classic designs and the modern designs. Um, well, and the fun, well, here's the funny thing: in the X Men book, they told me I could do whatever designs I wanted to. I could pull that deck, that, that, that Scott and Gene and Storm. I could just draw whatever costumes that I wanted to. So I picked my favorite costumes. So they're not, they're actually not new costume designs for, uh, Storms is new. I kept the Storm costume because I thought it worked better. But the Scott and Gene are kind of classic costumes. I think. But they're not, they're not the same ones as they are in the Legends though. I think. Legends is, 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 is a specific period. So we went with the Jim and, uh, the Larry Strowman costume one. It's a little more. This is the one Casado one uh, modified slightly on Alex. And I, I, I'd actually never drawn that one until like I found out about it. I did like a quick piece for my Patreon so that <laughs> get a, kind of a feel for the costume. So I, I, I was like, I never drew that one before. Meant so to, I, but I never. Like, yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like my favorite having costume is the, the classic. I've, that's like my favorite. I, that's when I read the X Men. That's what he was wearing. I've always liked the Polaris and Havoc designs from that era, from that run. And, yeah. um, I remember when they brought in the red suit near the end. That was meant that, that it was Peter David just being cheeky because, you know, Peter David. And it was kind of him making fun of costume design at the time. And the company just stuck with it. And I'm like, you guys don't get sarcasm, do you? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, uh, the Adam X costume was kind of a, uh, that was a kind of an eye opener. It was, it's almost like, cause, it, cause the character reminds me of a problem I saw. <laughs> yeah, like no, like the actual person. Oh, I know. It's it's, it's like it's like oh, they made Roth character a lot. <laughs> well, and that was kind of funny. And I was reading it, and I was like, oh, okay. Uh, this is very much very rubbish. Well, come on, dude. He's changed his haircut since 1990, so it's definitely not Rob Liefeld. 
no, no, he hasn't. Actually, no, no that's true. Both Rob of never had a, Rob never had like a, a the, the whole kind of mullet thing going on. Um, oh no, my but, joke was that they changed that one of them changed their haircut since the early nineties, and one of them just stuck with it. Yeah, there's a lot I could say down that Rob Liefeld path, and I, I, I'd rather not say it on the show. Um, <laughs> so, um, we'll, we'll talk about that when we're done. But, um, but yeah, re- regarding, regarding that, this is just very cool, man, because I've always liked your work, and I felt like, I felt like in the, in the, especially in the early 2000s, it, for me, it felt like you were done dirty, man, because it's like, here's a random one-off, and then you talked about how, like, you just didn't, straight up didn't get paid one time, and it's like, and I'm glad uh, this it was it was it was kind of weird as it was like everything was late. It wasn't Joe Pro's fault because he was the main writer on it at the time. He was just getting stuff late, so he, he writes up as fast as he could. But uh, I, it was like all the all my paychecks were late, and it was just kind of like that's actually why I left. <laughs> I got tired of not, not getting paid on time, and, and uh, it was just kind of like, well, I'm, I'm done. I'd rather you know go do some more Wall Street work or something like that. So I know I always get paid relatively regularly. Um, so, yeah, and I, I, at the time, it, it's, I, I was going through some, like, uh, artistic problem where I was uh, struggling to kind of get to, like, the next level. It just took a long time to kind of break through that that fit that you know, I was stuck at. It was... It was uh, Took almost ten years. It was a while. So, wild. so yeah. it was like really frustrating. The work wasn't fun to do. I just I just didn't enjoy it. I wasn't enjoying drawing comics very much at the time. And then they, they changed the X Men costumes too. And uh, well, they worked for the the artists who changed the costumes. The designs didn't work with my style very well, and it was just like just separate pieces. It was they were very difficult to draw because it didn't work with how I learned how to draw the costumes. Um, there's specific cuts on the face where you put the costumes and do this and do that so that it kind of, it makes things kind of easier, second nature, and a lot of the costumes, and that's quite possible they do this on purpose. They kind of break things up and do things differently. Um, but they didn't quite work the same way, so I was like, one of the redrawing things where they do the layout instead of just basically do the layout, you draw the costume on top of the layout. You basically have to like do the layout and draw the costume and erase it and then put the costume back on. It was just, some of the costumes were just like quite difficult. So. That just had to be a rough time. To, that just had to be a rough time, man. Because they were still, I think at that time they were still bankrupt. Because I know Casada and Jamis came in and kind of righted the ship, righted the ship. But that'd be that just had to be awkward time for both yourself and the company because they were just funneling money out of their arms after the whole. Because there was even though it was two thousand. You know, like the clone saga and all that shit was not helping them at all. And then yeah. you had Ron Perelman and those fuckers. Yeah, it was, it was just, uh, it was not a good, a good experience the first time, which is, which is, you know, upsetting because I really like those huge, huge X-Men fans. So. Yeah. You, you know, what I love, like, objectively, nobody likes Ron Perelman. That Ron Perelman, folks, Ron Perelman, look him up. Um, so like, I don't think anyone will get upset for us going after him. Yeah. Uh, is it Perlman or is that what it is? No, Perlman's cool. Perlman's, um, Hellboy. Ron Perlman was one of the, like, the trading card guys who basically oh, drove okay, Marvel into yeah. the ground with that other guy. I don't guy. really know much about that. I just want to read off what I remember hearing on Rob's podcast. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. But, um, yeah, man, I'm just really excited because, like I said, been following the X-Men books a lot since, basically since Hickman took over. And, I know he's not the editor, but in many ways, everything's really following that one vision, and it almost feels like he is. But um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited, man, because you got this coming up. You've got um, X Men Legends coming up, and with and with that, um, by you and I have talked about some of the characters that you're basically being asked to draw, and I was wondering about that because um, what else, is there anything else that you have coming up that you can talk about in terms of upcoming titles with this? Uh, X Men stuff, or just in uh, or just in general, either one. Uh, the, the, not really. I mean, I have uh, this X Men book, and then there's another project that I kind of working on occasionally when I have a time. But uh, co- I'm co co-creator on. Uh, we're gonna do like three issues of like 26 pages for uh, 
I don't know when. Sometime next year, I got the cover and I got 20 pages of the first issue drawn. I got to draw gotcha. six more of that. Team book. Uh, I have some uh, other creator own projects that I'm totally doing. Hoping you know, what I was planning on doing is finishing up this X Men stuff and jumping back on that, finishing up those couple issues, and then uh, going and finishing up, and then, then running the Kickstarter for one of my projects, which has like 30 pages drawn off like 48 pages, uh, and then uh, I don't know after that. <laughs> So it's it's a it's a little iffy, I guess next year. But I mean, no. Uh, the one the, the one project I'm working on is uh, fun. It's it, it's it's a fun, cool story. So I'm hoping uh, we do this for the first three as well. We can do more. But they, as far as I know, they want to do that one uh, kind of traditional. So like out through the stores. Yeah. As opposed to you know the Kickstarter or whatever it is, and they go forward. There's like two more of those companies kind of popping up. So <laughs> I feel like right now, um, I, I don't, I don't mean to, I don't mean to point out any particular branch of, of comics right now, but it just feels like a good idea in terms of like the comic companies, comic retailers to go with a Kickstarter written Indiegogo at this point, it seems. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I know some of the image books, the new, uh, image ones are actually selling fairly well, but you know, like, we have to have, like, a big, like, you know, James Tinian doing an image book because he's the Batman writer is going to, of course, bring in a lot of sales. Oh, no, that's, that's a Kickstarter. The, um, the, what was it? The, the one of the Scott Snyder and Tony Daniel? No, no, that's the one, that's the one with Snyder. No, James Tinian's doing, oh, I'm doing one that did well. And I know, uh, see, well, I did a couple more. Uh, his Commandos, 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 Commandos in Crisis? Yeah. Tinian. Oh. Tinian is one yeah, of those people, like, I've never had a bad encounter with that guy. And I'm like, you were... a nice guy. I've only met him once. Yeah. But he's he's one of those people where I'm like, I am, I'm happy you have the career that you do, man. Because there's so, some people where I'm like, you're just a dick. And I don't understand. <laughs> and then you like have James where he's like, let's talk about Tim Drake at Batgirl. And I'm like, fucking hell, man. You're one of us. And that makes me so happy. <laughs> No, I'm happy he's doing really. I'm, I'm happy his Batman's doing so well. Yeah. That's great. But yeah, man. Um, so, so with that, uh, as as we kind of, as we kind of bring this to a close, uh, where can people find you, man, on this wonderful, wonderful place called the internet? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter is probably the best way. I'm on Instagram, but I don't ever go on there because I never remember that I have it. And then I keep saying, "Oh, like everybody's saying, well, you get more followers on Instagram." So I think I gotta I gotta post stuff to Instagram, but it's like. It's like mini Facebook. Pretty much, I, I mean, hate, I I hate Facebook so much. Well, dude, the problem is, uh, Fuckerberg bought um bought Instagram, and so you basically turned it. It's just difficult for me to use because I always wind up on like ads. I'm like, well, where the hell am I supposed to go? How am I supposed to stuff? It's not intuitive enough for me. Like Twitter's pretty intuitive, um, but Instagram is not. And then, yeah. uh, my Patreon's listed on my Twitter, so my bio. This is probably the easiest ways to find me for stuff. But I'm always on Twitter. I might not be posting as much because I'm working. But generally, if I don't post much from stuff, I'm working. But I'm at least on there for news and stuff like that. Yeah. So I try to answer questions. Well, that's that's one of the things I've noticed that with with you in particular, I've noticed on Twitter that you are like super open on Twitter. Like you're always retweeting stuff, talking to people. I mean, that's pretty much how you and I set up our yeah. first show. Well, I mean, I like to look at I like I, I like to look at art. So if I see something or something funny or something I think is kind of clever or something interesting, science wise, um, I like to uh, retweet it so that other people can see it. I mean, I just found out uh, today that uh, one of the new dinosaurs in Jurassic World is a Giganotosaurus. So, so you're but apparently Sam Neil does not have a print. Yeah, but like Sam Neil could just say shit and sound smart, so it's like people just assume that it is. Because he, he's got like that, he's got that New Zealand by the way of Scotland vibe. Yes, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a little Sean Connery. Yep, just a little bit. The um, I I don't know if you've seen it, but I love um uh, in the with the new Animaniacs revival, they open up with a parody of the of the Brachiosaurus scene in uh, Jurassic Park, and somehow uh, uh, with he is like the he is like the least 
caricature uh, caricature face ever. And somehow they managed to do the most perfect caricature of of freaking <laughs> Sam Neill. I'm like, how the hell? Well, I know, he hell? had like a farm, and he like tweaked stuff about his farm. Dude, that was pretty fun. Yeah. They sent me a bunch of references first for the characters uh, in uh, the X-Men 1, the Shar and stuff like that. So, and the other characters, other stuff like uh, and the Legends of Mayhem, most of the, because it has uh, Eric the Red. And I, I love new, Eric the some Red. New, some new Shar thing. With him and uh, some other characters, more familiar characters you'll see tied to the Summers family. Well, dude, we're getting the third Summers brother back, Adam X Extreme. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I remember. I remember. It's kind of funny because I remember reading about that. So I was ta- talking about it at a store. I think it was a third Summers brother. I thought it was Gambit. <laughs> dude, I thought it was. Oh, dude, it was so weird. I remember there was a <laughs> weird uh, moment of continuity it, where Sinister was a clone of Gambit. But, but I remember. Hearing about it, and I was like, "Oh man, I'd love to draw that." So I just kind of like, kind of thought it was really kind of funny that no, I, I do get to draw it. It just was like twenty five years later. <laughs> Dude, I, I love Adam X Extreme. He is a he is a treasure, man. I mean, he, he's. I think I got it. I think I got it down. So he's uh, pretty solid. So he's got all, I got all those things on there to work, but he's, I don't think he's a, he has so much stuff on him. At least and this so time I, the trucker's cap makes sense. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's part of the story. Yep. About why it's there. Um, from what I remember from reading, I, I, read, oh, I read the first draft of issue one and two, and the second draft of one and two. I read the first draft of issue one. The well, second draft of issue one is drawing it. Um, but I haven't read, read the same issue two yet. But I've managed to, because I did the cover for it, the two, he's on the cover. Big in the middle, so it was like the first time I actually had it drawn fully, kind of realized. And uh, he has all these like just these little blade things all over him, and everybody kind of draws a little different. I went back and looked at all the reference, uh, and I was trying to figure out the best way to do it to do the, the character character itself. Because like, the character has to kind of shine through what you're doing, and. Uh, that's like the easiest way for me to kind of get the characters is kind of figure them out. And uh, it, it, it once on the cover one, and just kind of a small, small shot. And then I was like, okay, it's covered to two, just like the main guy on the cover. <clears throat> and so I was to figure him out. And I, I, once you see, maybe you'll figure out where, where I pulled it from. <laughs> I feel like uh, reading, reading the story and stuff. I think he kind of reminds me more of like this character than like Cyclops or Havoc, but which would make sense because you know if you, if Cyclops and Havoc have kind of different personalities. Cyclops is a straight guy, Havoc is the jokes, and then this guy would be kind of like the, the third part of like these kind of the other kind of character. Yeah, you, know, you know how people use the term "busy" like "busy" as like a as an art criticism. I feel like yeah. Adam X Extreme is like the that criticism turned into a person. And that makes me happy. It's kind of like how I fully support the career and get all hyped up about Jake Busey. I know Jake Busey is a terrible actor, but my God, man, it's that, it's that love. <laughs> no, no, he's, uh, it, it's. When I saw the design. I was like, man, that that is that in like. And it's kind of funny because I had to draw Azrael uh, at DC earlier this year, and I was like, this costume is so nineties. It's like so nineties, and then I think I think Adam X beats him. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, I think this is like if you want to look at a costume for the nineties, I think it'd just be Adam X. Now the question is this: Could we? Could so? What if you drew? What if Asriel had a backwards baseball cap? <laughs> think about uh, it. I don't. Like, the only thing do I wear? I think they could be more nineties. Uh, Adam or Asriel would be uh, guns. Oh my so god! They had more guns. They had more guns. Like the most I-90 image is Greg's cable shot. One shot. Oh, he's carrying the pile of guns? like two tons of guns. It's like, how is he alive? <laughs> I don't care how strong you are. You would be dead. Your organs yeah. would just collapse and on no, themselves. I don't think I get to draw that guy on cable, but I wasn't. Cable is in issue one a little bit. Uh, but not that one. It's the one. It's, like, it's, it's, it's I guess this is from around 1985, so he has like the, uh, the suit that I actually drew him in a couple times in, uh, Oh, where he had the it's Cyclops visor? No, no, where he had, it's kind of like the blue suit. It's more of an X-Men suit. You know? ah. He has, like, a couple of straps. He has the one, the one, um, 
silver arm. But he doesn't have, like, all of the, the old Rob stuff with the, the neck thing. And it's just uh, kind of more classic. I think he's got the yellow underwear. My favorite detail with that suit was when he would have the, how they had, since Cyclops had died, had quote unquote died at the time, how he has the, uh, Cyclops, how he has the Cyclops visor there as kind of a homage to his father. And I'm like, that's a cool little detail. That's the kind of detail where Claremont was like, do this thing because it will be awesome. Yeah, I was a little upset because that's when I started drawing the X-Men. I got to draw Cyclops once in issue 25 of Unlimited. And then he wasn't even. Oh, now he's part of Apocalypse. Now Apocalypse is his body. I was like, oh, I don't get to go Cyclops again. <laughs> yeah. So he has to go a lot of Cyclops now, so I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's like, I'm actually really happy to see a, a title uh, with with Hickman's run, especially with actually having the Summers and giving them a proper spot instead of just making them the butt monkey. Yeah. You know, like the, like the X-Men movies, where it's yeah. like they finally got him right with Apocalypse, and then, well, that's over. Yeah, actually, no, actually, I didn't like him in those last two movies. See, that I wasn't Cyclops. That was Havoc. I know. <laughs> it's like, like even here's the thing. My girlfriend is like kind of familiar with X Men, and she was like, "Wait, why did they change her ages?" Yeah, I thought, I thought it was weird because, but the personality was that wasn't Cyclops' personality. That's Havoc's personality. Yep. But um, which but, is weird because the because the guy who played Cyclops, if you watch the movie, the Scott's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. That's Cyclops. He plays Cyclops in that movie. That's <laughs> Scott Summer. And uh, then they, when they put, they put him in the X Men movie, he's not playing, he's not playing that same character. I was like, what the hell? I mean, I did like, uh, uh, the, the last one was, the Apocalypse one was, uh, was fair. And I actually kind of liked the last one too. I couldn't. Um, I just wanted to see the damn Phoenix costume. It's like, now like, you've done Phoenix twice, botched it both times. Dude, those costumes had freaking visible zippers. We weren't going to get a really awesome Phoenix out of that movie. Uh, I was hoping for something. And at least we got you know, at least a bit of a Phoenix effect. We didn't really get that in that other one. The mm. X- X3, which was awful. Like, the worst X-Men movie I've ever seen. Thank you. I don't understand. <laughs> like, the people complain about Dark Phoenix. I'm like, did you not see X-Men 3? X-Men did 3 you, is the worst. I, I will definitely watch the Phoenix movie. Way more than I ever watched it. I've only watched X three once. Funny thing is, I had to rewatch that movie a while ago for for a live riff that we did, and you forget how. Like I know this term gets thrown around a lot on the internet, but if you want the, a movie that actually does define like misogyny, that's the movie. Like the way they treat not only her character but basically every female character, other than if except Storm, which did make me happy, mainly because Halle Berry was going to quit otherwise. Um, that that that's the movie right there because they're basically like, nah, bitches be crazy. The end. <laughs> no, I don't remember it. Uh, I don't remember it fondly, but I don't remember. I think it's, it's I saw it, I saw it once, like right after it came out. So I don't really remember the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, especially for a book like the X Men, which has always has these really strong female protagonist characters. Um, it was weird. It's kind of like, like I, they made. Like Storm was pretty weak in the first two X Men movies. Uh, I think what they, they did a really good job with Mystique. Oh yeah, the uh, Rebecca Romaine is Mystique. I thought she was. Well, she had this. And she's not like that in the comics, of course. Uh, she's kind of more straight laced. But I like the quips. She was you know, kind of fun. Kind of just a much more interesting character. And I thought that they were, they did later on. I actually didn't like the other ones. Uh, what's her name as Mystique at all? It was. That, even though it's technically slightly more, I guess, realistic to the comic book, but she's just kind of flat compared to uh, what Rebecca Romain was doing on that. See, like, with the comedy and, and stuff like that. The funny thing um, is, I didn't mind her in, like, I didn't mind her in Days of Future, I didn't mind Lawrence in Days of Future Past or First Class, but really... See, I, see, I, I, see, I didn't mind her in Days of Future Past. That's actually one of my favorite of the X-Men. Which is a great that movie. It was really good. Um, but I, I actually did not like First Class at all. See, I dug it. It was like James Bond. It was like, if you took like Roger Moore, James I, I Bond, liked, and X-Men. Like, I liked, uh, like, you know, and Xavier. I thought that was cool with their history. I just didn't like, um, the, this, the movie, the story just wasn't, it was, it was, it, it's, it's like it's a bad story and there's some cool effects and stuff. I just think that they've never, like, visually really captured the X-Men super well. 
except for Days of Future Past. Oh, and and Emma Frost. It's always been kind of weak, weak sauce with the powers and stuff. Um, it's like you know they, they had like a little bit in like the first class with uh, Magneto bringing up the submarine and stuff like that, and that was cool. Uh, but he's in, it wasn't until the Future Past where you see Magneto kind of doing really cool Magneto stuff. I actually have a major criticism of Future of Future's Past that a lot of people kind of overlook. They introduce a lot of really awesome like supporting characters from the X-Men and they get some really awesome actors and they visually pulled them off so well. I'm specifically talking about um specifically talking about Bishop and Blink and then they're yeah. just not there. And I'm like how do you hit the how do you hit the look and the casting and everything? On the head and give us these uh, fucking amazing. I think it scenes. was just there was so much stuff in there. I mean, I have the rogue cut too. Oh, it's so much better. Rogue part out. Um, there, I think it was just too much stuff to stick in. It probably should have been two movies. Yeah. It's kind of Mike has, I think, the original comic was like two issues long. <laughs> I think that the whole story. I think the original Days of Future Past comic book was only like two issues. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So it's uh, it's like, there's like they they tried to throw too much stuff. I think that there was like look there's there was a lot of cool stuff in there. It was like you said with Bishop and uh, Blink and stuff like that. And then they just kind of ran out of, you know, and, and even like with Shadowcat, I don't think they kind of, even though she was in the, awesome. the third movie a lot. Yeah. They marginalized not, her. Not, for no, they didn't really like use her much. She's like a main X-Men character. Yeah. That was, that was a mess. And then, um, just a bit, a brief aside, which we never, which you and I never do. I know there was a recent controversy. Apparently it came out that, Ellen Page, she had not come out at the time. She had not come out of the closet at the time. Brett Ratner, because Brett Ratner's a hacky bastard, uh, and a creep. But yeah, with, uh, Ratner, apparently he just basically outed her in front of everybody on the movie. Mm. Uh, and, and, um, she confronted him about it and he said, well, why? It doesn't matter. And I'm like, yeah, it's not really his asshole. place to say that stuff though. Yeah, that's not, that's, that's not right. Yeah. But, uh, that's why I'm glad that that's why I was so happy when Gal Gadot basically said when all the all the allegations came out about him, and it wasn't not like, oh, this stuff maybe happened. It was like, no, he's just a creepy weirdo. And I was so happy when Gadot basically said, if you don't if you don't drop him from this and work with a different production company, I won't do any more movies with you. And I'm like, Gadot, you're awesome because yeah, the she fact that the power. yeah, the power now. So. And and Ratner is like the last person who should be producing a movie like Wonder Woman. Yeah, I mean, uh, I wasn't a huge fan of the first one, but uh, I do love her as Wonder Woman. Yeah, I'm. So. <laughs> I'm really happy to hear the news with Wonder Woman with uh, Wonder Woman 84. I do feel bad for you, man, because I know you can't really do HBO Max I where you are. Yeah, I won't be able to see it until I'm going to get HBO Max. Uh, I can download some stuff like late at night. Um, like two, I've got like an extra hundred. I'm cute because I can take another fifty from two to eight a.m. So ah. I'm going to try to download uh, the the. Uh, the Justice League stuff and they put it out. Supposedly um, you can download stuff, but I'll have to check. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm hyped, man. Like, cause there was no way I was gonna go see it movie in theaters, especially right now. People being stupid. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not, I, I wasn't planning on seeing. It. I, 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 they like the first one was like some some movies I are like I watch once and I enjoy it, and I watch it a second time. I was like, eh. mm-hmm. so I was wondering one was kind of like that for me. Uh, so I was like, but I mean, from what I saw, it looked pretty good. I'm not sure if I like the gold outfit. <laughs> I think that's like, I think that's like too much like Aquaman's costume from the Justice League. So I think I don't like it with the Justice League movie because I think Aquaman's costume is way too busy. I like um, the fact, I just love the fact that Jeff Johns is finally be able to really get that, really able to get that story contribution on one of the movies because he's always kind of been there as a producer. But it's like. He, wrote, he co-wrote the first one, I thought. I thought the first one was by Aaron Heinberg. I thought he was, well, I which one his name was on the, was on the, the script on that. I, I always forget. I can't remember. I, mean, I, I, said, I said I enjoyed it. To me, the, the biggest letdown for the Wonder Woman movie was like the end fight. I wanted a bigger end fight. Oh, dude, that was the only problem with the movie because DC was still doing was, their weird fight in the tunnel. Yeah, it was. It wasn't. It was like I like. I like the cast. I love the Eddie Candy. She was freaking hilarious. Um, but I, I, I didn't pick the. The no man's land scene um, is okay, but I think she's Wonder Woman. I think these are just bullets. It's not, not that. <laughs> Seeing what I saw her in the Superman, Batman, Batman Superman movie, where Batman Superman wanted to go up the toe with freaking Doomsday, toe 
like with Doomsday, and she's just like such a badass. And I think oh, this is just some guys with some guns. I think it's they're not. It's not that you know. It's impressive. So I wanted some more. You know, some this just ultimate badassery. So you know the budgets and stuff like that, and you know the time frame. So I double checked it, and yeah, the um, story was written by Zack Snyder, Alan Heinberg, and Jason Fuchs. And Alan Heinberg wrote the actual screenplay. Hmm. I where Jeff was involved in that. I think he's worked as, I think he's been a producer on pretty much, I think he, I don't know if he was a producer on Batman v Superman, but I think everything post Batman, post Batman v Superman Suicide Squad, he's been a producer on. Oh, the second Suicide Squad movie. Oh, that was awesome. I'm, dude, I'm so happy. <laughs> dude, King Shark. flew Laborg, he's fucking so funny. <laughs> I uh, I feel so bad because I, I didn't. Just like twenty of the worst characters. So I was like, you know, a bunch of these guys are gonna die. It's gonna be awesome, <laughs> dude. John Cena, you could tell like he has that love for for Peacemaker, and it's great. Like he, uh, yeah, John Cena. I I don't. I'm not familiar with the character that much. Um, uh, Peacemaker. Imagine if Captain America was just a psycho. Okay, I could take a chance that because I actually kind of liked him in Bumblebee. Yeah. Oh, dude. We're, we funny enough because we just got the. I, I finally upgraded my home theater proper, and uh, we were. I was watching Bumblebee on 4K just now before we did this. <laughs> yeah, and, it's, it's. I like my wife didn't like it the first time. She's a huge Transformers fan. See, I um, love it because I there's nothing like Michael Bay movies. I was like, oh, it's kind of fun. It's like, oh, it's coming in space story, and that's fun. And I think uh, the cast was really good on that. Dude, Cena. I really, I really like the Justin. They're called Decepticons. Dude, Cena had the best line in the movie. It's in their name. <laughs> like legit, he has the best freaking line in that movie, and I'm so hyped that we're getting a um, that we're finally getting like a Transformers origin, like origin movie. Apparently, it's all going to be done on Cybertron, and it's by the director oh, of Creed Two. I, I, have, I haven't heard anything about that, so yeah, that would be awesome. I was really impressed with the with the designs and stuff for that. I thought that was just great. But uh, was it Stephen Cable Jr., the guy who did Creed 2? He's going to be doing the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I'm like, I, I, I'm just so happy that they've distanced themselves as far as they can from Michael Bay. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I like the first one is okay. After that, it just, they shit the bed so bad. Yeah, after. I kind of, I mean, mostly the first one is, is, is fun because of the parents. Yeah. <laughs> I love the parents in the first movie. They're just hilarious. And they, they could, like, pull it off at the second movie quite right. It didn't quite work. The second movie just kind of floundered a lot. And, uh, but, like, I think the visuals on the Bumblebee movie uh, were kind of exactly what they needed to do. Yep. And it looks for, beautiful. Uh, like, yeah. there's none of that, none of the, like, filters and bullshit. Like, it's a really, just a really oddly very natural-looking movie for a movie about giant robots. Yeah. Yeah. Like, which is, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think to describe a Transformers movie as a very natural looking film, but like, everything there that you see, it looks like you could see that in the real world. Yeah. But, um, the enthusiasm that John Cena seems to have for everything he does, I want that. Like, I want just like, <laughs> a spoonful of that uh, John Cena enthusiasm. Oh, damn. Yeah. Dude. I mean, you can't even see John Cena. That man is literally invisible, and he is able to like, be, he's been able, able to just put himself out there, and yeah, I like that. You know, he's like totally committed to the costume because you know they are. Oh, I have to have my mask off so you can see my face for a certain amount of time. It's like I don't want to see your face; I want to see the guy in the costume. <laughs> well, it's like Carl Urban and freaking um, in uh, Dread. Like the fact that he actually <laughs> told them. I hated that movie. So. I love it that movie. Great. Why are you wrong? Uh, because it's shot terribly. It's no. all medium shots. It's it's, it would have been so much better if they had pulled in on a lot of these cool stuff when, when Dredd is talking. Because if you look at the comic books, there's all these extreme shots of him when he's saying his, 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 his mean Dread lines and stuff like that. And uh, they didn't do any of that. So it takes away the impact. So people send me pictures online, and it's just like basically a bunch of mean shots. There's like no impact any of them. I think so a lot of it is just budget limitations. Impact, you gotta, I know it was, their, it was their first movie and stuff. Um, but I was like, I watched like I was watching the first couple scenes, and I was like, ah, it's just, ah, 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 it's just all medium shots. Like, it, it doesn't work, and it loses all the impact. I actually prefer the slow one. <laughs> no, 
I, I get it because you get the satire, but then you get Stallone's ego just equaling all over the place. And Yeah, but it's shot so much better. It's a visually more appealing movie. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it is a little, it pokes fun at it a little bit, I think, too much. It's like, it took right before they started doing that, like, Batman crap with, uh, the Schumacher movies. Where they yeah. take, they, you know, they basically, not, not, we're not taking this serious now at all, and we're just gonna. So, isn't it funny? So it doesn't funny? quite work. I want to see, I would love to see the eventual sequel for Dread that needs to come out, but done with the production budget of the 1995 movie. Yeah. Well, I think that they just needed a better cinematographer and stuff. Just to, you know, as I said, it's, it's for, it was the first director's first movie. I'm not sure. If I'm assuming it's a male. I don't know. Uh, he had done um, that movie Vantage Point, which was not a favorite of mine. Mm. Yeah, not, not familiar with it. But uh, yeah, it, it just, it, it's, it, it needed, it's, there's certain movies that just, you can kind of pull back, like a John Wick movie. Yeah. Which is incredibly stylized. And, uh, Beautifully choreographed and stuff like that. You pull back more for the fight scene, but like the dread movie for the intensity of the character, um, you have to pull in and do some cl- nice close up shots. Even if it's just like part of his, you see part of his helmet in his mouth, that's all you need to see. It's dread. And you have to watch the delivery on him. And other, well, because everybody's talking it up, talking it up. So I get it. And I was like, oh, it's just incredibly disappointed. I barely made it through the movie. You know what I find so bizarre? Like, I think, it w- I think honestly it could have been a budget issue because the guy, the cinematographer, he did Slumdog Millionaire. He did 127 Hours, 28 Days Later. He did freaking Antichrist with Lars von Trier. Like, this, this guy knew that was what he's doing. And no, maybe it was the director. That might, might, that might just be the director because it, it doesn't cost more to pull in on a shot. Yeah. <laughs> and That's just basic cinematography. And it's something you learn as you go along. So that's probably because the director was a new. And as I said, the comic book, you know, People who send me stuff online with their their pages and their characters and stuff like that. One the, the 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 most obvious thing that I see when they send the artwork for pages is that it's all medium shots. So, you know, so you want to create some sort of dramatic uh, excitement to pull in, or sometimes pull out depending on whatever you know shot it is. If it's like you know your your characters are supposed to look small inside of a big giant, you know, in front of a big giant robot, pull out. Yeah. Way out, so the character looks really tiny, you have a big giant robot eating up all the space. But if you want some intensity, you know, Wolverine's you know, the best there is of what they do, you know, you pull in on Wolverine. Yeah. Because you didn't do that with Dread. They were, it, was, it was mostly like head and shoulders stuff. It's like it's still a shot, it's not a close up. You gotta go and do those close up shots. Dread works awesome with close up shots. That's why they have like the covers of the book with just like part of his head on there. I think. It works so much better. I think if anything, uh, this is this is just my perspective. I, I'm more of a, I do more writing and editing that sort of thing. But just from the films I've seen and from the film from just my general knowledge, I think if anyone's going to look at a director in terms of how to, in terms of how to shoot, how to know when to use far away shots, close up shots, you know, how to switch that up, your editing, Sergio Leone. Like you look at a movie like Once Upon a Time in the West or The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And like that's how you do it. That's how you use the close up. That's how you use the distant yeah. shot. That's how you use your frame. It's, you just look at any movie by Sergio Leone. Yeah, it's that might that might you know, they, they do a lot of the uh, animatics and stuff like that now. So maybe uh, I don't know if they did that for that movie. Though. I know that they did that for Deadpool and stuff. Though. They'll have someone actually goes and does storyboards for the entire movie. So they do the choreographs and stuff like fight choreographs, scenes that way. So maybe they didn't do it. Needed to, because <laughs> Urban was perfect as as Dread. I mean, he looks you know, the part. It's really hard to mess up Carl Urban in anything. Well, he's a great actor. I pretty much love him in everything. And it's like I didn't hate his Dread or anything like that. I thought he did a good job as Dread. Just, the visuals of the movie just didn't work for me at all. Yeah, and it's a bit, you know, since it's a comic based off a comic book, it's just I need to see his visuals. They got they got to be cool. True, but um. Yeah, man, this is this has been fun, and I feel like anyone who's listened to our previous interview knows that we're just going to nerd out and just talk about stuff because we're nerds. And if you're listening to Circuit Forty Two and you're not a nerd, I, I just feel sad for you because yeah, I mean, uh, it's like hey, I love comics, but you know, I have all the all these other nerdy interests too. So. Yeah. <laughs> I um one one quick one quick note before we kind of uh, one quick note before we kind of wrap everything up. I got to tell you this, man, because since the last time we talked. 
Uh, one of my friends who used to work for a movie theater, he used to have a ton of posters. Sells a ton of posters, and he was selling a lot of them. And I got original one sheets of Man of Steel and Batman v Superman for like 15 oh, bucks nice. a piece. And I'm like, okay, I will pay you $15 for each and $8 for shipping. Because I'm not going to find those in perfect condition anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, my brother. I probably used to work in the theater, but it was a second-run theater. So they were like, send us a poster so back. No. Oh, oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, I collect stuff like that much. Most of the stuff I collect is just anime figures and anime. <laughs> like what I, can, what I collect now. <laughs> Dude, I got to go... Um, I got to go, cause, was it, um, Antarctic Press, sort of located out here. Oh, that's right. And I got to go to the Antarctic Press offices, and I got to check out, like, they have literally this whole little mini library of, like, all the old, like, Shonen Jump magazines from Japan, and the Rojin oh, Z wow. stuff, and, uh, I got to talk to Fred Perry when I was there, I got to talk to, um, I got to talk to Ben and all of them. And I got to, like, just hang out with them while, and just chill while they're getting ready for a show. And I got to, like, look through all their freaking, like, Japanese, like, literally imported straight from Japan, like, manga magazines and all this stuff. That was fun. Like, it's a very small nice. office. Like, you walk in and it's basically a room and another room. But, um, but it was just really cool to see because it was, like, everything I remember growing up with, like, American manga. And, like, you walk through the hallway and they've got all the framed artwork. And stuff like that throughout when you walk in, it's like, holy shit, this is so cool. Yeah, no, that was nice. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just kind of got, got back into it the last couple of years. There's just, there's a lot of, there's just, that's, that's the thing I kind of, I think really, you know, one of the best things, I, I really like where we are in the comic industry right now because there's not, you, you're no longer in that speculator boom. We don't have, like, people who aren't actually reading comics buying 8 million copies of Blood Spike number five because it has a variant cover with the guy with a different arm. And the we're in an industry where I know like there are people online, people on YouTube who will say, Oh, we don't have the sales figures that we did years ago. And then you talk to anyone who's actually in the industry and it's like, yeah, those people weren't buying comic books. It was basically just people a bunch of people inflating numbers. And while obviously we're not at those same sales unfortunately that we were, like you know that the people who are buying the comics now are actually buying them because they want to read them. It's a nice place to be. Well, yeah, and they also have to consider the uh, what's actually happened. Is my view is that uh, we have more people coming in, but um, they have more more niche markets. So uh, before it used to be there was we produced like what three hundred or six hundred comics a month for the entire industry. Uh, this was like in the eighties and nineties, and now there's like I think two or three thousand books a month. So there's much more stuff to choose from, but the audience has, well, it's grown. It hasn't grown exponentially, like yeah. you know, huge. So it's there's a you know, there's just basically more product to appeal to a more of a limited audience. So that's why the, one of the reasons why the numbers are kind of going down. It's just more specialization, and uh, so now we're going to need to figure out a way to kind of get more readers. <laughs> and uh, so I'm, I'm a big fan of digital, but the West hasn't actually been able to. Pull digital off, I think. Yeah, because they have them, but like, I remember there was a thing like what a year or two ago where they were, where they said that the opting up the comic friend, the comic industry is a one area where while they have those digital ways to read comics, the eighty percent of sales are still physical, and it's interesting that comics are the one industry where it's the complete opposite of everything else. Oh, just here in the West, uh, in Japan, Shoeisha, they have like twenty three million subscribers. Yeah. So they're digital books. And they charge like two bucks a month. And you can be whatever you want. That's so really that's, cool. that's, a, that's a, you know, but here it's like you know, the digital books are more expensive because the retailers got upset about the digital books. Yeah. Because they used to be cheaper and then the retailers got, got upset. So they raised the price so that they don't want to you know, cause the stores to lose sales. But digital and store readers are kind of two different things. So. This guy, uh, Comics Birch, talks, talks a lot about this. And uh, this, we have to think of it as almost two different markets. Because, you know, the kids are going to want, they're not really interested in collecting as much as just kind of reading stuff. So if you can make it kind of, you know, inexpensive enough 
and you're still going to pay all the creators. But if you can make it inexpensive enough and digital, and you give them a good platform, because Comixology is not a good platform, because you have to buy it on Amazon and then go over to Comics and open up the Comixology, you have to read it and download. We do the web. Yeah, it's, it's it's kind of a pain in the butt. It's like you can't just go one place and do it. And then you know, for creators, they take they pay like out quarterly. They take fifty percent. So it's really not any. It's just, you know basically you know it's a four dollar comic book. Yeah. Um, the retailers basically pay two dollars for it, and that other two dollars goes and is, and is distributed amongst the publisher, printer, and distributor. There's so a it's like so they don't actually get you know they maybe they get like a dollar per comic, the DC or Marvel. That's crazy. So they're not actually making that much money, but if they do it digitally, they get all the money. <laughs> they put it out themselves. Uh, they, they, all they have to do is like what Shoeisha did. They made their own website. They put all the stuff there. They get all the money. Shoeisha doesn't have to pay for you know, distributing uh, the stores, anything like that. But they still sell print comics too, because there's people who want to read the print comics. So you do both. The digital is just basically extra money. And if but you put some money behind it, you can start getting in the the, the younger people who you know are used to doing stuff digitally and prefer to do stuff digitally. And we're not doing that. Because of reasons, <laughs> I still don't know why they don't want to do it. I think most of it's because then they say, "Oh, we're going to do this digitally," and everybody freaks out online. You know, but they do both. I mean, it's it's like uh, people jump on me because I suggested because we don't actually do comic books for boys. In we do comics for you know for girls, and we do comics for adults. But boys, we don't. And they go, "Oh, well, what do you think Batman is?" No twelve-year-old boy cares about Batman's wedding. And Catwoman's white dress. I'm sorry, that's just not. I like Tom King's Batman. You shush. Yeah, well, you are an adult, though. Yeah. <laughs> a twelve-year-old boy, you're not going to care about that stuff. So we don't do books for this group anymore. We do books of like, oh, well, Dogman or whatever. During the eighties and nineties, the, the main comic book readers for DC Marvel uh, were boys, and so, but sometime in the late eighties, I mean, sort of late late nineties, they did they started piddling out. Boys started filling up, and we didn't get new boys in. Um, so we now we have, we have the collectors who stayed, and those are the people who are still there. Now we're bringing in uh, girls and stuff, which is awesome, and that is a great thing to do. The young age stuff is actually more geared towards them. All that stuff is great, but we're not getting in the boys. We like once they hit like five or six, um, we get they get you know they get Dogman and stuff like that. And those are popular, and those that's fine too. But then. There's nothing after that. I feel Especially like dog man to like adult stuff for boys, and I've, it's like, we, and I think they're going to manga if they are showing up because I know the manga is actually getting big. And you know, you have the Shonen Jump, which is basically you know comics for boys, and they're that's they're, that's a, a big thing. And I, I think that I don't know why we we can't do both. We can't do you know as I said niche markets earlier. That's a niche market, so. Yeah. Or we have all these niche markets that we're doing these comic books for. All these niche markets uh, that we're trying to shop for and make products for, except for this one group. And when I bring it up, people get all upset. Yeah, it doesn't mean I don't want one of the buy things. It's like, it just means I think we should, you know, the whole point of doing this is to basically do it for all groups. I feel like the perfect book right now for me is uh, that I think can really appeal to boys, girls, men, women, anyone. Funny enough, is Power Rangers. Like, Power Rangers by Carl Higgins. And they do it without trying, which is really neat. And if you're not reading Power Rangers, like, I'm not I, a Power I, Rangers that, guy that's at all. Again, you know, I did a niche market for... Uh, did you watch Power Rangers when you were a kid? I did, but oddly enough, I was never a big Power Rangers kid. Like, I saw no, the movie in theaters because like, I was no, I, 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 I saw a couple episodes of it because I was, when I was a kid, I watched Ultraman. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was like, eh. Yeah. I mean, I can kind of, I can see the appeal of the kids and stuff like that for that. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the same. That's the, that's the, and they, they do, it is, it's kind of all ages, but it is more towards boys because of all the fighting. Yes. That, that book is a, that's a book worth reading. Like, I'm not a, the fact that I was not a Power Rangers kid, and I'm saying yeah. people need to read that book. Brett, I gotta thank you again, man. Like we were talking about earlier, it's great having you on the show, and the fact that we were able to get you on just so soon and because this was this was really short notice so i definitely appreciate you uh just kind of jumping on that man um because i just no, kind of, no yeah because i didn't even network this shit. i just shot you an email out of nowhere 
But um, uh, with that, man, I want to say thank you again for coming on the show. And once no, no problem. Yeah. And thanks to everyone out there listening. Go check out go check out Brett Booth's work. Go check out Demon Puppy. This guy knows his shit. He knows what he's doing. Um, <laughs> follow him on Twitter, man. He's boss. And go listen to us. Go listen to Circuit 42. We're on uh, iTunes now. We're on Spotify. We're on um, iHeartRadio for five people listening to iHeartRadio. Um, and go find us on Facebook because eventually we will get a Twitter and eventually we'll get Instagram and we'll get all the, um, all, 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 all the likes and all the retweets. I don't fucking know. Um, so with, so with that, this is the end of the newest episode of Circuit 42. And thank you again for everybody for listening. And thank you, Brett. Thank you for, again for coming on the show. This has been absolutely fantastic. For me. Definitely, man. Anytime.